0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 463rd show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Dr. Nicholas Longridge, Senior Lecturer in Evolutionary Biology at the University of Bath, who is going to talk to us about an article he wrote titled, A Handful of Prehistoric Genesis, uh, Launched Humanities, and Technological Revolution. The history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. The show's theme song was written and performed by Mark zap Zaptel, And our producer and engineer is, as always, Mr. Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of the show, and we would like to welcome our guest, Dr. Nicholas Longridge. Hello, Nicholas. How are you doing? Hi, how's it going? Doing very well. You don't mind if we call you Nicholas or Nick? Nick is fine. Thank you. Um, we call this first segment of the show... Uh, Farukh Darnara, and and our goal is to give our listeners a little bit of background on today's subject. So in a very simple, tidy way, can you start off with some basic information and where technology was about 500,000 years ago? We don't ask much. We keep it very simple. I'm kidding. (laughs) The floor is yours. Yeah.
1: Okay. So around about half a million years ago, we'd gotten as far as hand axes and possibly simple wooden spears And then we start seeing a number of really important innovations show up. So one of these is the hacked spear point. It's uh, possibly the first composite technology where several different components are combined together. Uh, It makes for a more lethal spear, a more dangerous, sharper point. Uh, We see fire appearing. We see people invent beads. uh, We see people invent axes, and we see people invent bows. And so a bunch of things are coming in, in fairly rapidly. And something sort of interesting is that Uh, These things seem to be invented once and then spread as far as we can tell. So it seems like you'll see spear points appear first in South Africa, then they appear further north, then they appear all the way up in Europe. And we're basically seeing technological exchange between different populations. Some of these populations are modern Homo sapiens, uh, some of them are primitive Homo sapiens, and some are Neanderthals. So technology seems to be invented once uh, very often rather than repeat inventions, and then it spreads from place to place and from people to people and from species to species.
0: Okay, so when you see, like, the example you had with weaponry, uh, of course yeah. you have the invention, but not all materials are spread everywhere. So when looking at some of these, like uh, the what you mentioned, um, the spears and other issues, did you notice the similarity in design but um, created from different materials that the environment provided?
1: Well, uh, you know, if you have stone technology, you have to use different rocks in different areas just because you don't have the same rocks everywhere. But the, there's a technique um, called the level law technique where they, they chip out these uh, spear points or blades and they kind of carefully prepare a cord and they strike out this, this spear point. And that technique is, is the same you know the same one is found in Africa, it's the same one found in Europe and used by Neanderthals. So these techniques seem to spread even though they're slightly different materials. And and it may well be that, you know, in certain areas, people simply had to rely on different technologies and tools and techniques because they didn't have materials.
0: Okay. So let's talk about the uh, actual spread. How many um, years, and I know this is, it's not like you're going to get exact, but in this process of what, like the spearheads, where do experts think uh, it spanned from, it started at and it spread, it took how long to spread across, would you think?
1: Well, I think that the spear point seems to appear around half a million years ago in Southern Africa. And as far as we know, modern Homo sapiens doesn't go back that far, but it was probably some you know, primitive, you know, primitive ancestor of Homo sapiens. And I think they show up in, in Europe maybe around, uh, I want to say about 300,000 years ago, or um, maybe 300,000 years ago in East Africa, and then a little after that in Europe. So this is kind of one of the key things is you see this sort of sequential appearance. It starts south, it moves a bit further north, then further north and into Europe. And that, that really seems to fit the idea that these things are, are spreading. And in the case of the spear point, it seems to take quite a while, like we're you know something like uh, close, close to you know, close to a quarter million years for it to spread all the way. Uh, other technologies seem to spread a lot more rapidly, and it maybe is accelerating. So the bow takes only you know, the bow takes much less time to spread you know, something like 70,000 years instead
0: of several hundred thousand years. Okay. Uh, b- being that you're focusing pretty much in the beginning on weaponry, were there other kind of technological uh, advancements, like an example, uh, one that I always thought of that, you know, if you're going to do travel, of course, fresh water is vital. And uh, yeah. th- as far as you go is how much water you've got. So um, is there um, signs of advanced uh, technological um, um um, inventions to help individuals travel through carrying of water and probably storing of food
1: you know this is this is a really good point, so I mean it might seem like you know a lot of what I'm talking about is weapons that we're kind of biased towards that uh, it's not by choice in the sense that I, that's why i'm preferring to study, but just we we have to focus on what preserves and that's going to be rocks and so you know spear points preserve well we can we can track the spread of bows because the arrowhead preserves well, even though the bow itself doesn't. There are a lot of other really critical innovations. Uh, String. String is really important. I mean, being able to, you know, tie knots and lash things together helps you lash spear points onto spears. Uh, String is necessary to make bows. Water carriers, sure, but a lot of that stuff is not going to preserve. If you're using doors to carry water, that's not going to preserve, for example. Um, You know, clothing technology would be phenomenally important. You know, when people are moving up into the Arctic regions, they're probably, they, you know, you're, you're probably not surviving in Siberia in the middle of winter without shoes or, you know, you know parkas, and, and, and that probably implies needle and thread. But we don't have a good record of these, innovate, you know, you know don't preserve. Shoes don't preserve. Okay. So, I mean, it might seem like I'm kind of biasing things in favor of weapons, hunting, conflict, et cetera. That's kind of what we have to work with. And in other cases, uh, we know that probably a lot of other things are happening and, you know, some of these, you know, some of these technologies, uh, you know, ways of making clothing, ways of making houses, uh, you know, a sling to carry on a baby on your back is, is a major innovation. That was one of the most important innovations in, in human history because it made it easier to go out and gather food with a, with a kid on your back. But we don't know when that happened because that would have been made out of, out, of, out of hide.
0: Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM.
2: The KALA website is your one stop spot to find out more about your favorite radio station. Submit a public service announcement, catch up on news about KALA, and listening to any of our three stations, 885, 1061, or The Stinger, is just a click away. Visit KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org.
0: Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of our show, which is referred to as the kitchen table. Our noted guest for today's show is Dr. Nicholas Longridge, Senior Lecturer in Evolutionary Biology at the University of Bath. And we're talking about an article that he published titled How a Handful of Prehistoric Genesis Launched Humanity's Technological Revolution. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. And Terry, why don't you start us off? All right, thank you.
1: Yeah, Nick, you talked about how technology might have been invented in one area, but then spread quickly to other areas. Can we tell if it was spread through trade or through conflict? Oh, that's a good question. So my suspicion is it's quite likely that both of these things were going on. You know, hunter-gatherers, there's a long history in tribal societies, hunter-gatherer societies of conflict between neighboring groups. Uh, They come into conflict over territory because they need that territory to feed their families and and they tend to guard it very jealously. And you can imagine, for example, if, you know, somebody attacked you and they had some cool new weapon, you know, a, a mm-hmm. spear with a stone spear point or a bow and you managed to kill them, you might kind of try and reverse engineer it and say, this is a pretty neat piece of technology. Why don't I do this too? I mean, we, we see this in history. Uh, you know, American bombers were shot down over Russia the Russians took them apart, reverse-engineered them, and created their own bombers. Or the Comanches stole horses from the Spanish. So so definitely this happens. Uh, but if you look at how modern societies interact, um, including hunter-gatherer societies, trade is very important. And, and gifts are very important. And so uh, you know, today in Africa, for example, there are hunter-gatherers, and they exchange with local herders to get iron arrowheads for their bows. And so it's quite likely this has been going on for a really long period of time. And we can actually track, uh, you know, through stones or ostrich eggshell beads. We can see whether the places where these, these things are found, uh, you know, how far they are from the origin of these materials. And we find that, you know, people have been trading for obsidian, for example, for, you know, maybe 50 miles. And in cases, ostrich eggshell for maybe hundreds of kilometers so people are exchanging things, and quite likely as they exchange tools
3: for, through trade or through gifts, they're exchanging the ideas at the same time. Ed? Yeah, Nick, um, when I think of an evolutionary biologist, I think of someone who's largely studying um, living organisms or at least parts of those organisms that have been preserved, um, yet the only thing you have to work with are stones. How, what was the path like that you found yourself uh, led into this area of study
1: i I just kind of gotten interested in in humans recently and I'm, I'm not quite sure how else to explain it, but we're a very interesting species and there's there is this kind of idea out there that hey look there's millions of species we're just one of them uh, are we really that special and I, I kind of think we are I mean for better and for worse uh, you know I mean currently we're worried about humans messing up the ecosystem by cutting down forests and changing the climate. So, you know, clear, I think in an objective way, we are a very interesting species and and possibly the most interesting one out there. And again, I'm not saying, yay, humans were, were awesome all the time, but we were pretty interesting. Once I've been just reading up on human evolution, trying to understand more about it and diving into these things. And it, it's really fascinating. And I've, there's a lot we've learned in, in recent years and it's interesting uh, the extent to which it does and doesn't reflect biological evolution. But technological evolution has some weird parallels with biology, uh, maybe not necessarily with how animals uh, evolve, but with bacteria. And bacteria evolve via lateral transfer. is Bacteria uh, will pick up genes from their environment and incorporate adaptations from other species. Into the, and so they exchange these, this information back and forth. And that sort of seems to be how technological evolution is happening, too.
0: Okay. Uh, when we were talking about your point earlier, which I totally uh, agree and um, support about how when looking at how um, humans lived in the prehistoric times, you had to base it on um, artifacts that survived over the millenniums because, again, as you said, thread and cloth deteriorate. However, what about the instances of art? You have... Um, cave drawings in places that try to depict how uh, humans were living at the time so I was curious do you have as have you people turn to the artwork and say okay reason we know that they kind of had this contraption because it was painted on a wall 25,000 years ago is that also a pivot point for finding information
1: it it turns out that it's it's not terribly useful and I've I've gotten into hunter-gatherer rock art recently and, and some of it's fascinating and Every once in a while, you will see a depiction of a person with a bow, but we haven't been able to date a lot of these. Uh, I mean, this artwork probably—it's very unlikely it's seventy thousand years old. It's very unlikely it's the oldest evidence of a of bow and arrow. So, so far, the artwork has not. Offhand, I'm struggling to think of any place that's really changed our understanding of these things. It just—it's not old enough, and uh, the type of stuff they'll do—they—they they, they paint a lot of animals. They love, you know, in Africa, they love to paint. Antelopes and giraffes and zebras. So they're really focused on the nature, and a lot of it's so stylistic. You'll see, like, you know, you know six streaks of paint, six vertical lines kind of all in a row, and that's how they're depicting human beings. Uh, you know, that's pro- perhaps a population or perhaps ancestor spirits, but, you know, so it's not giving you a, it's not realistic enough to give you a really strong picture of the past, and a lot of this stuff can't be dated very well. Uh, The artwork itself is a really interesting phenomenon. Um, You know, when and where did this phenomenon of cave art originate? Um, You know, right now, the oldest rock art we have is Neanderthal. So it's not impossible that Neanderthals came up with this idea and spread elsewhere. Uh, But we don't have a really good record of these really ancient rock art. We we do have a good record of the pigments they use, the ochre pigments, the iron oxides. Uh, Those preserve really well, but they also use them for other purposes, on uh, making tools, so that might or might not tell us about the origination of, of art itself. Okay. Terry? Yeah. Nick, am I correct in saying that so techno- technological innovations were created by Homo sapiens, but also by other archaic groups, such as, me- such as Neanderthals? And if so, yeah. I mean, yeah. technology, is, technology is meant to improve our lives. So what do we know about cultural differences between Homo sapiens and Neanderthals? We we don't know a lot. Um, I mean, in some ways they might have been they would have been quite similar. Uh, you know, a modern hunter gatherer and Neanderthals would, in a lot of ways, be culturally far more similar than we would be to a hunter gatherer. It's just such a radically different lifestyle from the way we live. And, and there's certain aspects of those cultures that are fairly fairly consistent. I mean, they hunt, they gather. It's that's kind of the basic way, the way they do it. There's division of labor where the men are engaged in hunting and fighting, and the women focused more on gathering plants. So probably there might have been some similarities there. I I, I think what's kind of interesting is uh, at least some of these technologies were probably not invented by modern humans. And could be wrong, but the oldest, you know, according to a recent paper, they claimed the first place they can find consistent use of fire, like these people were able to start fire whenever they wanted to, uh, was in Europe, and at the time it was inhabited by Neanderthals. And it's only later do we see the use of fire, routine use of fire spread into the Middle East and then into Africa. And, I mean, it would make sense. I mean, as you say, you know, the, the, the necessity is the mother of invention. And it's pulled in Europe. So the Neanderthals had a lot more incentive to mess around with that, you know, how to start fires than, say, people in Africa. So fire, which obviously is, you know, a huge leap forward uh, for humanity might not be a Homo sapiens thing. It might be a Neanderthal thing. Uh, and there are other technologies like like the axe. Uh, we don't know who invented it, but it might not have been modern people. It might have been these kind of archaic Homo sapiens around the time. So at least some of these... And, oh, uh, beads, uh, beads seem, as far as we know, the oldest beads are found in North Africa, and they were made by archaic Homo sapiens, not modern Homo sapiens. And we got this... Innovate, we, we picked up our style from them. We kind of imitated. oh, those look pretty, and we, we adopted that that they appear to have invented. So this is something really interesting to think about. That a lot of the technologies that made our success possible, and that we still use today, things we still use fire, we still uh, you know we still wear beads, and necklaces for ornament, ornaments in almost every human society. These might not be human innovations that we picked them up from these other species.
3: Okay, Ed. Thank you, John. Um, Nick, uh, you mentioned earlier obsidian uh, in North America, which from a previous guest on one of our shows, we learned that is found in Yellowstone Park and way over onto Ohio. Um, Are the things that you found that have presumably been um, spread by trade? Are you seeing similar distances? Um, How far Uh, does some of this stuff really travel? Yeah.
1: I, you know, these are, these are papers by other people. I'm just kind of coming along and trying to oh. synthesize and, and, uh, but the obsidian, I think they were they found evidence that obsidian would travel like, you know, I, I forget if it was 50 miles or 50 kilometers, but fairly long distances. And this was like several hundred thousand years ago. And I think more recently there's evidence of the ostrich eggshell beads traveling hundreds of miles so you know the individual items could be tra- could be transferred pretty long distances uh, and i mean this is something that's only of course it's increased into the modern era where we rely on trade for things you know i mean my my iphone is from china and it's got you know probably rare earth metals from africa and various you know raw materials from around the world uh you know we this phenomenon of relying on a network for uh, it's a network you know we're drawing on on a network of people not just our own little band not just the tribe our band is part of but a network of tribes and drawing on a network for raw materials and for ideas is a very ancient phenomenon
0: okay um talking about communication and transportation um have there been ancient artifacts of travel and i'm thinking more by water uh and i admit uh wood does deteriorate but it also sometimes yeah, kind of petrifies yeah. um and i am not saying it's going to be in the same numbers as in arrowheads or you know bows but of course um if you're going to have te- as you were saying if you're going to have technological yeah. um, advancement yeah. there's there's transportation have they found yeah. artifacts that have kind of said okay these are might be the beginning steps of greater transportation no but but this is a big but <laughs>
1: Um there's technology, there's technological exchange. Uh so you know, around ten thousand years ago the bow shows up in in Alaska and then moves down into South America. Well, how did it get there? Um for the bow to come from Asia into Alaska and then into North and South America, you know, at the time the the sea levels were, were up and there was no more bearing land bridge. So someone had to have a boat and paddle across you know, to to bring that technology from Asia to North America. So we can kind of guess that there were probably boats around at that point. And there are several migrations. There's a migration of the ancestors of Navajo, uh, you know, happening about this time, presumably by boat. Uh, A later migration of the Eskimo-Aleod peoples, again, by boat. We can be pretty darn sure that um, the latest dates suggest that Australia was colonized around 65,000 years ago. That had to have been by by boat. And fairly sophisticated canoes capable of fairly long ocean journeys. So we know there's boats at that point. There is also a theory, and it's controversial, but I think a a lot of pieces of evidence fit this, that humans were moving out of Africa a fairly long time ago, around 100,000 years ago. Uh, That would explain how they got into Australia and Southeast Asia around 65, 70,000 years ago. They left Africa even earlier. Uh, but if they, if they did, it looks like the route they might have taken would have been across the Red Sea. And there might have been some primitive boat or raft technology at that point, if you buy that hypothesis. It's not necessarily widely, widely uh, supported uh, by archaeologists, but I think some of the evidence does suggest that, yeah, humans took this Red Sea route, and they must have had some, some type of primitive watercraft 100,000 years ago. Okay. Terry? Yeah, Nick, can you define for us what are archaic Homo sapiens?
0: Oh, man, what are archaic Homo sapiens? <laughs> Good going, Terry.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these, So a lot of archaeologists, they call them anatomically modern because they're more modern than Neanderthals, but they're still, they've got a lot of really primitive features. They have these huge brow ridges, they've got long skulls, they've got big muzzles, they're, they look primitive. And you know, some people might say, oh, "Okay, well, they're kind of our ancestors." But if you buy the molecular clock estimates, modern humans were already around at this point. So these guys are, are not direct ancestors; they're side branches. They're kind of our evolutionary cousins, not our ancestors, and they're competing, like a competing subspecies, or maybe they're even full species, uh, but maybe a subspecies of Homo sapiens that is no longer around.
0: Right. Wasn't there? And- I'm yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, wasn't there, I read somewhere before I give the question, you're done to give it to Ed. Wasn't there like at the time, seven different species that were kind of related to Homo sapiens and there was a massive die off? Something like. there's,
1: Yeah, it's, there's a lot of, when we appear 250,000, 300,000 years ago, there's nine or 10 known human species uh, at that time. And then we expand and they all disappear. And so we're probably driving that. Just how many there were, uh, my suspicion is we're still finding them pretty rapidly. Uh, we might—I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if there are a dozen when, when all or maybe even more. It also gets into some some arguments about you know how do you even define a species? Uh, some people would call Neanderthals a subspecies. Um, these guys were closer to us, and therefore it gets a little bit tricky. Do we call them a subspecies, a separate species, or whatever? But there's There's a lot of different lineages, and some of these lineages are closer to us. Some are further away, and a lot of these lineages didn't make it. And there were these were, but these guys were basically our evolutionary competitors, and they were closer to us than Neanderthals. And uh, and as we move out of Africa, we wipe them out too, just like we did the Neanderthals.
0: Ed, you got the last question.
3: Um, Yeah, Nick, um, when you find sites where um, stone tools have been made, are those sites typically consisting of one type of stone, or are there sort of what I might characterize as experimental sites where you find discarded pieces of two or three types of stone and then also evidence that they finally found something that would work? Yeah, so
1: near Lake Natron you saw tons and tons of chert and occasionally a bit of obsidian, And then further south, uh, in Lake Iasi, where you have a lot of granite and quartz, almost every single tool you saw was made out of quartz. And again, every once in a while, you see pieces of obsidian that have been traded for from further away. So they mostly seem to be able to make uh, do with whatever was available.
0: Okay. It's customary for us to give our guests the last word on the show. Nick, why do you think knowing about the evolution of human technology is relevant in today's world?
1: Well, again, the, the really interesting thing, I think, is that a lot of these things were only invented once. And in particular, the bow is a really interesting example because it, invents, it was invented once. It spreads very rapidly. It goes almost around the world. But there are other places where you know the bow was never invented. It was never invented in Australia, for example. It was never invented in North or South America. And it's conceivable that if this person... It, it's a non-obvious invention. If this guy in, in South Africa, you know, some ancient bushman... Had not come up with the idea of the bow, maybe it wouldn't have been invented for thousands of years. If it, you know, if it might have taken a much longer time to be invented. And so it shows that you know maybe one person or a small handful of people can make a huge difference. That a lot of these major technological advances that seem and cultural changes that seem obvious in retrospect were not obvious, and it kind of came down to this one person with the the initiative or genius or, or just the persistence uh, to create these things. And, you know, one person can make a huge difference in the world.
0: Okay. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM.
2: You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2.
0: This concludes the 463rd show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zapdell. My name is John Keeley, and we would like to thank our noted guest, Dr. Nicholas Longridge, Senior Lecturer in the Evolutionary Biology at the University of Bath, who talked with us about how a handful of prehistoric genesis Launched Humanity's Technological Revolution. The history buff for today's show were Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. This is ROI, relevant or real irrelevant on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would also like to wish our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.